the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Corinthians. That exercise of tongues is to be exercised as a personal prayer or praise to the Lord. Verses 14 through 17, that's the whole argument he makes there. Talking about if I pray, if I sing, I need to interpret, if I'm praising God with my spirit. Verse 16, he makes it clear. If you are praising God with your spirit, that's what tongues is. In fact, back in verse 2, he says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to man, but to God. So this is a gift that is privately to be used. Do you know the true meaning and purpose of tongues? Tongues is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but is also one that's easily misinterpreted. Some see it as a special attraction for a church, or they elevate those blessed with this gift. That's not what tongues was meant to be, as you'll learn from Pastor Gary today. Tongues is a language between your spirit and the Lord. It's personal and it should only be publicly shared at specific times. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection, subscribe to the podcast, or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now, um... The subject here in the rest of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, starting at verse 6 through the end of the chapter, has to do with the gift of tongues, its proper use privately and publicly. By publicly, I mean in the church, not that you're going to be going out to the bank and to McDonald's and, you know, speaking in tongues to people, but, um, but it's proper use privately and publicly. Now, we've spent a considerable amount of time the last few weeks as we've been making our way through the interior of, or really the ending of, of 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, having, having to do extensively with the gifts of the Spirit. And so by this point, some of you are like, all right already, you know, that we, we've heard a lot about the gifts of the Spirit and prophecy, tongues, interpretation, gifts of help and words of knowledge and all this. You know, how much more information can we take in? And, and I, I understand. I remember um, once Pastor Chuck, my pastor who has gone on to be with the Lord, Pastor Chuck Smith said once that sometimes he was encouraging us as pastors, you know, just teaching straight through the Bible. When we teach straight through the Bible, which is what we do here at Cornerstone, we're going to touch on every topic at some point. And I remember Chuck many times saying, sometimes when we have a Bible study, it will be for your inspiration. And sometimes it will be for your information. It won't always necessarily inspire like, wow, that was just so personally meaningful to my life. But it will nevertheless still be informational because it's all of God's word and it's what he wants us to learn. Okay, and you're the Wednesday night crowd, so we go deeper. So we're talking about spiritual gifts. 
You may not leave here tonight thinking, you know, how is this going to help me witness to my Muslim co-worker? Probably it won't, but it will nevertheless equip you, though, in relation to spiritual gifts. Because here's, here's my heart, all right? And maybe this is, you know, selfishness on my part. But I want us all, when, when you know Christ is your Savior, when we all get to heaven, all right, to have, to have intellectual conversation. I don't want anybody here going up to heaven and then you overhear someone saying to Jesus, oh, Lord, it's so wonderful that we're in your presence. We don't need the gifts of the Spirit anymore because we're, we're in your presence. And then one of you says, well, what are gifts of the Spirit? And, and there are standing, you know, Peter, Paul, and Mary. You know, the ones in the Bible, Peter, Paul, and Mary. And they're going to look at you and gonna say, well, what church did you go to? Okay, and I don't want to be crouching in a corner of heaven somewhere like, oh, they kind of went to Cornerstone, you know. Oh, and you were the pastor and you didn't. So anyway, uh, I, I hope that this is, you know, at least informational to you, if nothing else. But from verse six on, he talks here about this particular gift. And I think the reason is because this particular gift has been a gift of such controversy and such division in the church that Paul basically takes a whole chapter to say, okay. Let's talk a little bit about the gift of tongues. Now, just so that, again, we understand this gift, because I want to make sure we don't leave anybody out if you haven't been here before, what is the gift of tongues? There are different gifts that God gives the church, gives Christians within the church, for the glorification of God and the edification of the church to help build one another up as we use our different gifts. There are 21 gifts that are mentioned throughout the Bible. There are 13 gifts mentioned in chapter 12. And then he parks on one of them here in chapter 14, this particular gift, the gift of tongues. It is an inspired language unknown to the person speaking for prayer and praise to God. So it is a known language somewhere among some group of people, but never to the one speaking the language. Again, why does God give this particular gift? What benefit is there in speaking a language you don't even personally understand? Because again, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, language is both a gift and it is also sometimes a stumbling block. If you've ever had trouble communicating with someone, even if they know the same language you do, um, it's, it's difficult to communicate sometimes because language has certain barriers. I remember I'm going to tell this story, and I don't mean at all for it to sound crude. It just it struck me in a funny way. Uh, but I remember growing up, um, I was working for a marketing firm, and the owners of this marketing firm had a nanny from England. Now, we both spoke the same language, but one day as I was leaving the, the company, the nanny was there, and she said to me, all right, Gary, now, and she's from England. She says, why don't you knock me up in the morning? And I was like, what? Uh, excuse me? Naughty nanny. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> well, see, in England, to knock me up means to give me a phone call. And so, but we were speaking the same language, but there was a language barrier there. All right? And so you could even be speaking the same language and realize there's some kind of major communication issue here. And even as it relates to our communication with God, sometimes we lack the ability in our own known native tongue to connect with the heart of God and to express our deepest longings and feelings to the, to, to the Lord because of the limitations and sometimes restriction of language. If you've ever been at a loss for words, you understand what I'm talking about. 
And so God gives this particular gift to some, not to everyone. We talked about this last week. Paul ends chapter 12 with rhetorical questions. Does everybody have certain gifts? Does everybody speak in tongues? No. But he gives this particular gift to some so that we might be able to bypass language barrier and communicate to God in a way that connects to the heart of God, our heart. So it is somewhat an odd gift when you think about it, because again, to speak in tongues is an insult to our intellect if we are saying things we do not understand. And thus, in chapter 14, one of the things Paul says is, if you have this particular gift, you should also pray for interpretation so that you might understand and know what you've been saying. It is not a gift that is exercised with, this, with impulse uh, or without, you know, some kind of control, like all of a sudden, you know, don't. I've heard a lot of strange things over the years, people's interpretation of this particular gift. Some people think that if you have this gift, all of a sudden, you're going to be shouting out words you don't know and you have no control over it. <laughs> That's not the way it works. You don't have to be afraid like you're standing in line at the bank ready to make a deposit and all of a sudden you just start speaking in tongues and people are looking at you. And that's not the way it works. I've also heard people say, oh, yeah, 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 this is the gift that God gives to missionaries when you go to foreign countries and then you don't know their language and all of a sudden you're able to preach the gospel in their native tongue, even though you don't know it. Never once in the Bible is that used in that way. It is always as a gift that communicates to God. It is a gift Paul will say here, not unto men, but unto God. This is a language that he gives for the purpose of praying to him and praising him. So Paul talks about how sometimes I pray with my spirit. He says, I also sometimes sing with my spirit. That's the idea. Sometimes it is praying. Sometimes it is praising. But it is this gift that God gives to some. Now I'm going to read, starting at verse 6, and I'm going to read down through verse 15. Because one of the first things that Paul is going to deal with here is the private use of tongues. He's going to talk in this 14th chapter about the private use and then the public use or the corporate use, like in in a church setting. And not necessarily in the corporate big church setting, but in small group circles uh, of the church. So first part, verse 6 down through verse 15. Let me just read all of it, and then we're going to come back and make some bullet points from this. So verse 6 says... Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of, a life, of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. 
Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Okay, now, let me just pause there. I haven't finished reading, but I just want to clarify. Again, it seemed as if what he's addressing here is sometimes the issue in some churches today. There seems to be a preoccupation with this particular gift. And the Christians at Corinth were saying, you know, the gift of tongues, that's the most important thing. And let's just, you know, use the gift of tongues in the corporate worship setting. And, and Paul, this is a gentle rebuke here. He's like, okay, wait a minute. Okay, I understand your eagerness to have spiritual gifts. That's wonderful. But you should, you should be eager for the spiritual gifts that build up the church. And the fact of the matter is, if there are a bunch of people who are speaking in different languages and others are coming in, they're going to kind of think you're a little weird. All right? Maybe a lot weird. So he's, he's putting this in the context. He said, look, this is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful gift. Don't, don't necessarily eagerly desire it, desire it in the sense of the corporate setting. It has much more benefit privately than it does corporately. He's going to make that argument here. And he says, but you have to be conscious of the fact that you should be eager to have spiritual gifts. Try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. Verse 13. For this reason... Anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Right? Because you don't don't understand what he's saying. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. All right? So he says there's a time and a place to pray or to praise the Lord if, if you have that particular gift in an unknown tongue. But you, you should pray for interpretation so that you understand what you're saying. And then there's also times you just simply pray and sing with your mind. You are just going to be exercising the language that you know so that you can you know, understand this. So it doesn't, uh, it doesn't come across as this unfruitful thing. He says, he says if, I, if all I do is just speak in tongues or pray in tongues and praise in tongues, my mind is unfruitful. Okay, my heart is connecting to God in a certain way, but my mind is unfruitful. And he says, don't leave your brain checked out. Engage your brain. Pray for interpretation or simply pray and praise in your own native tongue. Now, there are two bullet points I'm going to give you that he says here from... Um, these first couple of verses. Well, actually, let me, let me just keep uh, reading a little bit further here. Verse, verse uh, 16. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. Okay, so two bullet points for private use of tongues. Number one, he says here in this passage we just read, pray for interpretation so that you might understand your thanksgiving with your mind. Because that's what the gift of tongues is. It is expressing thanksgiving to God. That's exactly what the word that he uses here. He talks about thanksgiving. He said, if I, if I don't interpret, how can I join in in my own thanksgiving to God? And how could anyone else say amen to your thanksgiving since they don't know what you're saying? And the other thing, again, to point out is that that exercise of tongues is to be exercised as a personal prayer or praise to the Lord. Verses 14 through 17, that's the whole argument he makes there. Talking about if I pray, if I sing, I need to interpret, if I'm praising God with my spirit. Verse 16, he makes it clear. If you are praising God with your spirit, that's what tongues is. In fact, back in verse 2, he says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. 
So this is a gift that is privately to be used in order to praise God and pray to him. And then he urges, pray for some interpretation so that you can understand and you can be thankful for what you're saying. Then he's going to switch here, starting at verse 18 through the end of the chapter, from private use to public or corporate use. Now, let me also hasten to add, and I made this distinction a couple of weeks ago, and I just want to say again, our church is somewhat different in that we aren't in the extremes related to the gifts of the Spirit. And so some, for that reason, some people are uncomfortable, like, well, what are you guys? You know, um, do, do you consider yourself charismatic? You know, you're not like the Assemblies of God. You're not like the Foursquare uh, Church. And um, do you consider yourself fundamental when it comes to the gifts? Because you're not really like the Baptists. And you're not really like the Lutherans and the Methodists. So, you know, what is Cornerstone Chapel? And what you'll find with Calvary Chapel churches, you know, of which we are one, is, is that we're, we're in the middle with this, and not in the middle because you know us, right? We're, you know, I'm not trying to be politically correct about anything, but just because that when you study the whole counsel of Scripture, that's where we see the Bible lands. It neither dismisses the gifts, nor does it elevate the gifts above Jesus. And so we believe in the exercise of the gifts, but we also believe in the proper place the proper format, the proper way that the gift should be experienced and expressed. There is big church, that's what the corporate church setting is, when people come into the sanctuary. And then there's small church, when people are in small home groups. That's still the church, it's just in a smaller group setting. And in a smaller group setting, that is really what Paul has in mind here through chapter 14. Because, you know, listen... The things of the Spirit are to be expressed in the context of where everyone is a believer and everyone understands. And those two elements, everybody's a believer and everybody understands, are never present in the big church corporate setting. Never. How can I say that with assurance? Because I know for a fact that every time we open the doors of our church, and this is a good thing, right? People who come in aren't all believers, because our prayer is that through hearing about the truth, you will eventually give your heart to Christ sooner or later, and you will become a Christian. But because I'm being sensitive, as Paul says we are to be in the big corporate setting, to the fact that in in any one big corporate setting, not everybody's a believer, and not everybody understands what we're talking about, this is not the place then for these things to be expressed. The place for them to be expressed is where you can know that everybody's a believer and everybody understands, which is a small group home setting of believers who would gather together like in a koinonia group or or your own private Bible study with a few people. And if you want to take time for there to be a time of some worship or just praying in tongues with interpretation, there's a place and a time for that. But the big corporate church setting is not that place because not every single person in this room professes to be a Christian. And that's okay. There's a growing and there's a learning and there's a receiving Christ. But until that happens, the gifts have a particular place to be exercised. And this is what he's going to talk about now, moving on to the public use of the gifts. So I'm going to read verse, uh, starting at verse 18, down through verse, not quite to the end, because I've got to pause at verse 33, because then he gets into this section in verse 34 I've got to explain. So I'm going to read 18 to 33. Here we go. 
He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, big church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it is written. And he's going to quote here from the book of Isaiah. Listen to what he says. Through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. And let me just pause right there for just a, a quick explanation, then I'll keep reading. He quotes here from the book of Isaiah, and this, this passage here that Paul writes has been taken out of context, I gotta say, and so let me try to put context to it. When he quotes from Isaiah, he is quoting about the time in Israel's history when God sent the Assyrians as the rod of his discipline to attack Israel. Because the Israelites were engaged in idolatry, and they had rebelled against the Lord. And so God, through the prophet Isaiah, through the prophet Jeremiah, had been warning the people time and time again. And what ends up happening is, God then sends the Assyrians to take captive the Israelites. God will later do the same thing to the southern part of Israel by sending the Babylonians. But the people of Assyria come, and they speak an Assyrian language. So when the people of Israel hear strange tongues, language they do not understand, it was originally intended as a sign of judgment. That's the context. So when Paul says here in verse 22, tongues then are a sign, a sign of judgment from a foreign people. Typically, when you hear a foreign language coming into the nation, the Israelites were thinking judgment. So Paul says, tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So he's distinguishing again between tongues and prophecy. Prophecy is the foretelling of God's word to help people understand truth. Tongues, however, have the connotation, historically speaking, of being something that is strange. And for that reason, recognize that it's also perceived as strange in big church corporate setting. Read on, verse 23. So if the whole church comes together, big church, everyone comes together, and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand, that's one group, or some unbelievers come in, that's group number two, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Okay, so that's, so that's the point that he's making. Like, you know, people are going to think you're out of your mind if you come to church and you're going to hear all these other languages. He says in verse 24, but if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, forth-telling of the word of God, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Verse 26, what then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. 
The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. That is a very important verse. He's saying all of this because he's saying, listen, I've got some guidelines for you. The gifts of the Spirit are wonderful, but they have to be used properly in the right place, context. They have to be experienced and expressed in the right place, in the right context. It shouldn't be just this chaotic, free-for-all, everybody speak in tongues, go ahead and prophesy, go ahead and interpret. This is just craziness. You know, no wonder some people who are not saved come into some churches and think these people are out of their mind. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as we dig into the book of 1 Corinthians. The issues and situations that Paul was addressing in this letter to the Corinthian church are the same issues that churches face today. It's bold and courageous that Paul faced those things head on, and it would be negligent for churches today to not do the same. Despite the idolatry and sin that was running rampant in this culture, Paul encouraged the believers to be a light that shines in a dark world. You can be this today in the dark world that surrounds you. Be a light that glows brilliantly and stands out against the dark blanket of sin that surrounds you. If you're ever in the Leesburg, Virginia area, we'd love to meet you in person at Cornerstone Chapel. Stop in for a service this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45, or join us for our Bible study and fellowship on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pastor Gary would love to hear your story and how you came to know about the radio ministry of Cornerstone Connection. Find out more details, such as where we're located, at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have for today, but join us next time to learn more from the book of 1 Corinthians, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.